0: Pleasures. a simple consider how we live our lives today everything is run, run, run we bolt our breakfast, we scanned the headlines we raced to the office the full schedule and the split second these are our gauges of success we drive ourselves from morn to night we have forgotten the meaning of the word relaxation relaxation What has become of the old-fashioned ways, the simple pleasures, a simple, innocent pleasure? And so I say to you, dear friends, relax, slow down, take it easy. Watch your hurry. What indeed, friends, is your hurry. Dr. Breen, may I introduce Sheriff Taylor? Dr. Breen. His aunt, Miss B, Miss Johnson, uh-huh. and uh-huh. Miss deputy <laughs> five. Oh, hello. A real pleasure. Oh, Dr. Breen, your sermon had such a wonderful lesson for us. Yes, sir, you really hit the nail right on the head there. Yes, sir, that's one subject you just can't talk enough about, sin. <laughs> yes, uh, well, um... Uh, well, yeah. look forward to seeing Well,
1: it's bye. good to have Bye. You. bye, bye. Didn't talk about sin. Damn. I, <laughs> I didn't talk about sin. Last year, I'll not tell you this, um, the reverend there is, is Reverend Tucker. And last year they cajoled me. Actually, they threatened me until I bought myself a collar and marched into Mayberry Days Parade in, maybe in Mount Airy, North Carolina, as Reverend Tucker. I, and for those of you who would understand this, I carried a folder around that said dry and dusty sermons. Uh, Some of us thought that wasn't funny. But anyway, um, <laughs> the, probably the biggest comment I got as I walked down Main Street of Mount Airy in, in the parade was, uh, Reverend Tucker can't preach enough about sin. I heard that over and over again. Uh, I know we're supposed to avoid that topic, but, you know, the older I get, the less I care. That can be a good thing or it can be a dangerous thing. But a few weeks ago I said to you, that uh, I felt like at some point the Lord was going to allow me to preach a message on the topic of sin. Um, and uh, and little did I know, as we're going through this, uh, this teaching series on Psalms, and we haven't been doing it necessarily sequential, but we've just been, as the Lord leads me, landing on different Psalms. And I landed on uh, Psalm 32 this week, and immediately I realized that it dealt with sin. In a little bit, we're going to turn to Psalm 32. But uh, whether or not it's politically correct or new church correct, I don't know, to talk about... So there are churches, by the way. You think I'm funny. There are churches. We had a couple that used to come here, and they 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 lived in Bowling Green, and they felt like it was time for them to find a church locally. They drove here from Bowling Green every Sunday for a while, by the way. Uh, and they said they went to a church... And uh, they were told as they went in that we do not use the word sin. We'd, nobody was allowed to use that word in this church. And of course, they didn't last very long. Like, I don't even know if they stayed. Um, but sin is a problem for all of us. It doesn't have to be, but it is. Now, and it's just in a very basic, simple term. If we're dealing, especially in the New Testament, the word sin. Uh, and by the way, that is the title, What About Sin? Sin really means missing the mark, just missing the mark, uh, that God has set, Jesus has set a standard of living, and God's standard of living, and that Jesus has set the bar of the standard of living. And that's our goal. That's what we're, we're aiming at, God's prescribed way of life. Now, by the way, before I get any further, I want to tell you, this is not a finger-wagging message today. This is not me saying, you bunch of vile sinners, you better repent. Now, all of that's true. I mean, not necessarily that you're a vile sinner, but you are a sinner, as James already told us. But that's not the, the intent, and I'll get to the intent. But don't think of this as, oh, boy, he's getting on us today. I'm not getting on you today. My prayer is I'm liberating you today, and me too. Because we miss the mark. God sets the mark, we miss it. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, if you miss the mark, it's still defined as sin. I, just a few verses, Hebrews 11, 25. He, Moses, chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Fleeting. Everybody say fleeting. See, that's what we we forget. Fleeting pleasures, Moses chose to to uh, enjoy oppression. James writes, but each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And the reason we were dead in our trespasses and sins is that because of sin. And it's not even primarily the sins that we might have committed, but it's the sin of Adam and Eve, but Adam is is one really responsible. Uh, As a matter of fact, when... uh, Cain was was uh, angry at God for not accepting his sacrifice, and he was contemplating murdering his brother. God spoke to Cain, and he told him this. He said, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. How many times, you don't have to answer this, but how many times do you feel like, that sin is crouching at your door waiting for you to either do something wrong, say something out of place, just waiting for that opportunity. And that that's because Paul teaches us in Romans that sin, everybody just say sin. Sin. let's, Let's get that out of the way. Sin came into the world through one man. Through one man. Now you say, well, Eve's the one that took the fruit. Bible says Eve was deceived. Adam made a conscious choice. And God holds Adam responsible. Matter of fact, I've told you this before. God never told Eve to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He told Adam. She wasn't even created yet. It was Adam's responsibility to tell her. That's another topic for another day. Uh, but sin came into the world through one man and if you read on in Romans 5 you'll read what we know already is that that sin was dealt with by one man capital M the Lord Jesus so what i want to do today is for us primarily to understand the wrecking ball of sin i don't want to wag my finger and who's sin and who's not I don't want to do that today. All have sinned, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want us to understand the wrecking ball nature of sin, that it's destructive to us. It's destructive to our life. It's destructive to our health. I want to tell you that the human body was never created by God Almighty to carry the weight and the destruction of sin. So what I want us to do then is to avoid succumbing to the enticement of sin, going back to James, through God's grace and through choices to, to avoid that. And to do that, we determine to follow God's pre- prescribed way or path of life. We, we determine to follow that direction, that way of life that God prescribes for us in his word we have we have a very concise clear uh, uh uh indication of God's way and by the way the more you read the scripture the more you take in the scripture the the more you can hear the voice of God because you know what it sounds you know what he sounds like you know what he's going to say and how he's going to say it so we determined to do that and then by the way don't miss this we remember that forgiveness for sin is not a one-time event. I've heard people talk down through the years. It made me think that they felt like that God would forgive me. But once I, once I got forgiven of my sins, I was on my own. And he was ready to crack a, head, a hammer over my head if I messed up. Forgiveness for sin is not a one-time event. But let me just hasten to add, it's also, we're not talking about Issuing a license. You can, when you talk about grace and you talk about God's mercy and you talk about forgiveness of sin, you can, as James alluded to earlier, James Owen, not the book of James, uh, you can get into a mindset that uh, that I've gotten my fire insurance to keep me out of hell. Now I can live any way I want to. I'll be honest with you. When I meet someone who thinks like that, I really question I can't see their heart, so I can't judge their heart. But I really wonder if they really had an experience with Jesus Christ. If immediately they're they're wanting a license to live the way they wanted to. License. If we if we adopt a license to sin, we will face consequences. David sinned with Bathsheba, had her husband murdered. They, they, she's pregnant. And God speaks to David after he's repented to Nathan. And he says, you, your sins have been forgiven. But your baby is still going to die. Consequences. We have consequences for our actions. Again, don't see me wagging a finger. See me begging us to see this. So we don't deal with those consequences. So we don't have the destructive nature. So if you haven't done it already, turn with me to Proverbs thirty-two. We're going. What did I say? Proverbs. Let's say Psalms. I tell you what. You turn to Proverbs and see how it matches up. I'll read Psalms. Uh, I saw a comedian one time. He said, "The mind is a terrible thing. It must be stamped out in our lifetime." Uh, Psalm 32, verse 1, if you wouldn't mind standing with me while we read the Word of God. Again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Everybody say, Amen. Amen. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Everybody say, "Amen." Amen. See, this gets gooder and gooder. Excuse my grammar. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, Lord Jesus, we pray that you, by the power and revelation of your Holy Spirit, would make this passage alive to us today. And that you would add your blessing and your revelation to the reading of the word so that we could be ministered to by your Holy Spirit. And enable me today to say the words of life that would communicate your intention to each one of us today. And I pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Only the forgiven are truly happy only the forgiven are truly happy blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered transgression is a word that's really it's just rebellion it's just saying god i'm going to go my way i don't care what you say sin is a is a, a, a an offense against god by the way neither one of them are good and he, he says blessed or happy is the person whose sins have been forgiven. How many of you have done somebody wrong and you know you did them wrong and you couldn't sleep, you felt bad, you couldn't eat. You, it, something was wrong until that day when you made it right with them. And all of a sudden you felt the burden lifted off of you because now you can really be happy. It's the same with, same with us and God. Psalm 85 says, you forgave the iniquity. Of your people and you covered all their sin. I love the verse 2. Blessed is the man or woman against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Wonder who that could be. Everybody say, that's me. Boy, you didn't sound too convincing. How can you not have any How can the Lord not count against you iniquity? It's because... Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid the price for your iniquity. He says, whom the Lord counts, everybody say counts, no iniquity. You have an account. You have an account and in your account, it used to be full of sin and not just sins, but sin as a sin person, sin natured person before God. You and I both owed God a debt and in our account, We owed him everything. Jesus came along and he paid the debt of that account. He took our debt. He took our sin and he took it upon himself. He became sin. The Bible tells us he didn't just take our sins. He became our Passover lamb and he received upon himself our sin and our debt. Thus we have the old song. There was a time on earth when the It went in the book of heaven, an old account was standing for sins yet unforgiven. My name was at the top and many things below. I went unto the keeper and settled long ago. Yes, the old account was settled long ago. And the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away when the old account was settled long ago. That's how we can say that God does not count against us our iniquity because Jesus has bore that. He took that into the grave. He went into the grave bearing the sins of mankind, but he came out of the grave victorious, leaving all of that in the tomb. That ought to make you happy, not counting sin. In in Romans, Paul quotes David it was on the screen in Romans 4, 6 through 8. Paul quotes David, speaking of the imputed righteousness that God gives us apart from works. And later on in that chapter, he says it shall be imputed or credited to us who believe in him. God has taken the works of Christ, the work of Christ in dying for our sin, being resurrected from the dead. God has taken the work of Christ and he has deposited that into your account. When you look into your account, you have you have been credited with what Jesus did. Apart from works. By the way, you cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. But you can except his imputed or credited righteousness. What that simply means is this. All we did was say yes to God. Jesus did the rest. He died on the cross. He did the work. The Holy Spirit transforms us. We say yes, Jesus, and he changes us from the inside out. And the verse that I almost quoted a while ago is that he did become sin so that you and me, we could become the righteousness Everybody say righteousness. I know you don't feel like the righteousness of God, but if you have been born again and washed in the blood of Jesus, and if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you are the righteousness of God in Christ because it's been credited to your account. Are you feeling good? All right. David says confession really is good for the soul. I've heard that saying my whole life. When I kept silent, verse 3, my bones wasted away. Again, the human body is not built for sin. It's not built for unforgiveness. It's not built for things to be wrong relationally with God or God's people. And it it affects our body. I, I think a lot. I'm not a doctor, and I didn't even stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night. But... I think a lot of our illnesses that we deal with today are due to resentment and unforgiveness and angst towards one another. And our human body was not built to carry that. Well, anyway, you can say amen. Anyway, (laughs) what he says when he says, when I did not, he said, what is What did he say? He said, when I kept silent, what he means there is, is when I did not confess my sins. When I kept silent, when I did not confess my sins. Let me tell you something. We do not compel God to show mercy. I know we think, oh God, show me some mercy. Oh, God, be merciful. We do not compel him to show mercy. You know why? Because he is already merciful. I mean, it's like, it's like telling a baby to cry. That's what they do. You, and when you sell, tell God to get, you show mercy, that's who He is. It's not even what He does. It's who He is. God is a merciful God. So we confess our sins because we believe He's merciful. We confess our sins because we know that in him we will find mercy. We will find him extending his mercy to us. David said an interesting thing. He said, my bones were wasting away my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand, or day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength. Was dried up as the heat of my vitality. My vitality was gone. Why? Because I kept silent. Because I did not come to God and confess my sins. Which brings us back to verse 2. He said in whose spirit there is no deceit. We are deceiving ourselves when we think we can live with the destruction and the weight of sin in our life. God is looking for people who have an open heart and an open mind to live with Him and walk with Him. And, 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 uh, He said, Your conviction was on me in such a way that I felt your heavy hand. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have felt that heavy hand? I know I have. David said, I acknowledged and then I confessed. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. By the way, do do you know God can see what you're doing? Some people act like they don't think that. He he knows what you're doing. I'm going to fool God. You cannot fool God. You can fool me. And you can fool some of these people sitting in here. Some of them you can't, by the way, and you don't know which ones. But you cannot fool God. And so you might as well be open and honest in your relationship with him. And you might as well say, I messed up. And if you, if you've never memorized verses before in your life, I'm going to give you two that you should memorize. First John one, nine, if we, everybody say confess, confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He goes on to say, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. That's not not intended to make you feel bad. It's intended to go back to one of the points I made earlier, and that is forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's a lifetime event. How many of you think that you're going to get saved and you're never going to mess up again? Nobody. Nobody. We all know better. Some of us messed up this morning. It wasn't me. I'm talking about (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Confess our sins. He's faithful. He's just. And there's no limit to that. Well, God, you've you've forgiven me 89 times. I don't know if you got enough forgiveness left for me. Let me tell you something. He can forgive you 890 times, 8,900, and go on exponentially because he's a God of mercy. We do come to Christ, and we are imputed righteousness in him. We are imputed in, in, and when God sees our account, he sees righteousness, but we do mess up. And one of the things that concerns me today is Christian people who are willing to adopt a godless lifestyle. Now I'm not talking about any of you, I'm talking about other people out there somewhere. People on Facebook. Oh, y'all are on Facebook. Never mind, I need to leave that alone. Is is when we as Christians make excuses For what we have approved of or we've chosen to live as born again, blood bought, blood washed Christians. We have made excuses and we have rationalized why this is okay and why that is okay. And I'm not mad. I'm not wagging the finger. I'm simply saying I don't care if you, if you choose to live and to walk in a way that is outside the bounds of God's prescribed ways, you will pay a price. There will be destruction. Lord, help me. You know, it just makes sense to me that if God created us, God took that ball of dirt And he breathed life into Adam. And he created a a biological system by which we can produce more of those people. And God was, the Bible says in Psalm 139 that he intricately knitted us in our mother's womb. And it's appalling that some want to interrupt that process today. Take that. And removed remove the, the project that God is working on. But God would take that time to make us, to birth us, and to put us into the earth. Who in the world or who not in the world would know better what makes us tick if not the one who made us, the one who created us? He knows all. Of it. So if God says, don't do that, and we say, yeah, but I want to. Remember, desire, sin. Don't do, don't go there. Yeah, but I want to go there. God's going to forgive me. God's merciful. You know, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. Well, you're going to get forgiveness, but you're also going to pay a price. You're also going to see some measure of destruction in your life. You're going to see some measure of unhappiness. You're going to see some measure of discontent. If you choose, and I'm not just talking about being legalistic and why you wear your hair and what clothes you wear. I mean, everybody ought to wear blue shoes. But other than that, I think the Bible is very clear. That was a joke, by the way. Um, David says, let the godly pray. I wonder who that could be. Well, I hope it's us. Let the godly pray. He says, Therefore, let everyone who's godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Is is, is God going somewhere? J- James Owen has already told us today that God's near. God's presence is always there. God's presence is always there. So what does it mean to seek him and to pray to him while he may be found? God says that again later on. I think Ezekiel, seek me while I may be found. What does that mean? What it means is... That perpetual sin will eventually push us away from the Spirit of God. Not away from His presence, but away from His voice. Away from hearing. Sin separates us from God. Not in the sense of salvation. I'm not talking about where you go into heaven or not. I'm talking about in our daily life. Sin Will, will separate us from our fellowship with God and our walk with God until we do what? First John 1, 9, confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we have renewed that relationship to such a degree that now we can hear what he says. Isaiah writes a couple of interesting things. He said, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. And watch this part. Or his ear dull that it cannot hear. So God does not need bell tone. By the way, that's hearing aids. God is not hard of hearing. God has not forgotten how to hear. God has not stopped hearing. His ear is not dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What is he talking about? Your sins have caused his face to be hidden from you. Again, God didn't say, I'm done with you. I'm going to the other side of the universe and talk to somebody else. He's still there. But when we choose, everybody say choose, sin doesn't come up on us by accident. When we choose to violate God's prescribed ways of our lives, we have, we have put a cloud, so to speak, between us and God's, so that we have done such a thing that His face is now hidden, not that He's checked out. But that we've, well, I think, anyway, I think I have a quote here. Oh, I do. Albert Barnes. I don't have it on the screen, but listen, the metaphor that he's using is not taken from a man who turns away his face from one because he does not choose to attend to what is said. He's just what he said. He don't, he's not turning away because he doesn't want to hear it, but from something which comes between two persons. Oh, he uses it like a dense cloud which hides one from the other. Godly people, pray to God, seek to God while he may be. It's not that he's going somewhere, but we want to maintain that connection so there's no cloud that comes between us. I don't want that, and I know you don't want that. Because sin dulls our senses. Sin dulls our senses. The longer we engage in sinful behavior the longer we engage in what god calls sin the more our senses begin uh, uh, are dulled the more our senses it's harder to hear it's just harder to hear what is the prayer i think the prayer is in verse 7 you are my hiding place The godly pray this. You are my hiding place. You are where I run into. You are my place of safety. You know, we've gone through a a time when we were praying Psalm 91 for 91 days. The first verse says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Safety. David goes on to say, You are my hiding place and my shield, I hope. In your word. I hope in your word. You'd think he would say, I hope in you. One place God says, a psalm says that he has exalted his word above his name. Why is that important? Because if you can't trust what God says, you can't trust God. And David is saying, he says, you're my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. In other words, I hope in your promises. I hope in what you said. If I can't hope in what you said, I have no hope. But that's not what he said. He said, I, I have hope. I have that place that you are my hiding place. He said, you preserve me from trouble. He said, well, wait a minute, I have trouble. Well, he's not talking about being totally from trouble, not totally from it, but from being consumed by trouble. Doesn't matter of fact, I'm not turning, but Romans 8 teaches us that we are more Everybody say more. We're more than conquerors no matter what we face. And he goes on to say that what's going to separate us from God? Uh, Neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come, neither height nor depth or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We may face some of those things, but they're not going to separate us from God we more than conquerors. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. What a promise. Anybody ever thought of that when we were singing, standing on the promises of God? Yes, yeah, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. In this world, you will have tribulation. No, we don't think of that one. We think of other ones. But that's a promise. But he goes on to say, fear not. For I, Jesus, have overcome the world. This is, this is good stuff. I'm not talking about my preaching, but what God said. No wonder he ends that verse by saying, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. And finally, he deals with instruction and discipleship. He says, I will instruct you. This is David. Some think it might be God, but you, anyway, I'm not going to get into it. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He said, I will instruct and teach you in the way you should go. In the way. Going back to what we just got through talking about. Sin obscures the way. Sin obscures the way. And he said, I'm going to keep an, he says, I will keep an eye on you, which teaches us that we should keep an eye on those that we are discipling. Those that we are mentoring, we should keep an eye on. Then he uses an interesting analogy. He says, uh, don't be like a horse or a mule. Well, there are many ways there that I could say that's true, but he says they're without understanding. And they need a bit and a bridle to be curbed. Don't be like, don't be hard headed. Don't be stubborn. Uh, we were, we were on a ranch in Colorado a week before last and I was on a horse called Forest. Scott Sims was on one in front of me named Gump. I mean, not Gump, Bubba. We were looking for Gump and we were looking for Captain Dan. We never could find him. But that horse that I was on, every time we went by a tree or a bush, he wanted to stop and eat. And we're in single file. I said, no, you follow Bubba. He, he had, but I had to use the bit and the bridle to tell Forrest, we're not doing that now. And every now and then he was, he was lazy. He would lag back 30, 40, 50 feet behind Bubba. Hey, what y'all think about a horse named Bubba? That's great. In Colorado. And, and so I'd have to, I'd have to give him a little dig in his ribs. Catch up. Why? Because he had no understanding. He understood the bit. And he understood the bridle. And he understood those sharp spurs. I didn't have any spurs on. I dug in his... He understood all that. And David has said, let us not be that dense. That we got to have... God's got to put a bit and a bridle in our mouth because it doesn't work that way. We don't need... To have a bit and a bridle for God to keep us near. We need to have a heart for God. We need to recognize what God has done for us. What God is doing with us. And what he will do with us and for us. David concludes the psalm by pointing out that many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the sorrows of those who live with undealt with sin. Many are the sorrows of those who have departed from God's way and have failed to confess. They have kept silent. But he says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. But I like that. That's the anesthesia before the surgery. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. When you repent of something or a way of life that you've done or even something that you haven't done, when you repent of that, that something, whatever it may be, you are indicating that you trust God enough to come to him and not be silent. Now, in the old days, when we had kings that were, were not so nice, you go before a king, you're liable to lose your head. You're liable to lose your life. But when we go before our king, who's benevolent and merciful and loving and caring and patient and long-suffering, aren't you glad Jesus is long-suffering? Boy, you should have said amen louder than that. We come to him because we trust. What do we trust? We trust his character. We trust his nature because we know what kind of God he is from this book. Steadfast loving. So it's no wonder that David finishes the psalm by saying, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Now, we've already determined that you're righteous. Don't be so quiet on me now. We've determined that you're righteous not by anything that you have done, but by everything Jesus has done. I just thought of a verse. And I hope you ain't got anything in the oven. Uh, if you do, invite me over. Um, say, what, they said, what should we call you? I said, in time to eat. Um, he says, he wrote Titus, he said, he saved us, Jesus saved us, not because of works done by, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Not by works, but by His mercy. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous one, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Shout for joy. Hey, let's get the worship team back up here. Come on, I didn't, this is a surprise to them. I didn't warn them. But I, I think we need to at least sing something to to, to rejoice in God. And you know, this may be a time if you are, if you're in, in the midst of something, lifestyle, bad choices, and you need to say to God, I confess, I'm not going to keep solid anymore. My bones are already hurting enough. I'm going to let this go and trust you and trust your character. This will be a great time. Maybe. There's somebody in this room or under the sound of my voice sitting at home who's never begun their journey with Jesus Christ, the merciful God. What a time, what a great day, what a great psalm to bring us to that place where we understand the work he did for us and what he wants to do in our lives. Use this time. You want to come to the altar, what used to be steps, but anyway, you want to come to the altar and kneel and pray, that's fine. You want someone to pray with you, we can get that. But most of all, I want us to join the worship team and, and be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, O oh righteous ones. And shout for joy, all you upright of heart. Let's let our voices communicate to God that, that since we're blessed because we're forgiven, and we're blessed because our sins are covered, and there's no iniquity counted against us, let's rejoice in that today. Amen? Amen. So let's stand and join with our worship team this morning. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in
0: my heart. Where? Down
1: in my My heart.
0: heart. Where? Down Down in in my heart. heart. I've got the to Vacation Bible School for that one right there. Oh. Well, there was a scripture he did at the end. I'm going to do one more short song just for this. It's stay. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is Thy faithfulness. Sing that together one more time as our benediction. This. Says, quoting Barney, "Go out and act like somebody."
1: <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Sure is, isn't it?